Well, today we continue our study in the book of Jude, next to the last book of the Bible, and we are going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. And so, Jude, now beginning in verse 8, let us hear God's word. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Thus ends the reading of the inspired and errant and life-giving word. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to understand this passage? It can be difficult and challenging for us, but Lord, you've given it to us that we might know you better and know your will. So Lord, show yourself to us today and show us, Lord, how you would have us to respond to what you teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just to to remind you, the purpose of the letter of Jude is found back in verse 3. And that is, uh, as you said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend earnestly for the truths uh, that have been passed down through Scripture and in God's church. Why do these believers need to contend earnestly for the faith? Because as uh, the the next verse, verse 4 says, certain men crept in unnoticed. They came in the side door, if you will, and began uh, to teach things contrary to God's word. Uh, They lived lives of licentiousness and they denied the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, there was a need to contend because these men were uh, representing the evil one. And then he went on in verses 5 through 7, as we looked last week, to show from history how God uh, has brought judgment uh, upon false teachers and the wicked in the midst of God's people, uh, that he brought them to justice in the past and he will in the future Uh, bring them to justice and punish them. And that gives us great confidence as we deal with false teaching in the church that um, these teachers will not ultimately succeed, uh, though they will try to destroy the church. They will not succeed. We know that Christ has promised that he would build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it and so on. And those who are serving Satan, who try to infiltrate the church, uh, they will not uh, survive the judgment. They will be cast down into hell. So, uh, but now in, in verses 8 to 10, we learn more about how these false teachers operate. And so it's helpful for us to know uh, if we're in battle, if we're uh, doing battle, uh, to know our enemy, to know the tactics, to know the ways, to know the signs of how the enemy works. And so the first thing we learn about these false teachers is that they are dreamers. 
They are dreamers. We might wonder what that means. I think the ESV translation puts it well. It says, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and so on. In other words, they use dreams as their authority. Uh, You know, wherever these dreams come from, they are not from God. They are their own ideas, or they are their own, or or they find them from uh, demonic influence, perhaps. But they rely on their dreams instead of the Word of God, and 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 in that way they claim authority, and yet they're speaking falsehood and lies. You know, in the history of God's revelation to man, the the only thing we know about God is what He reveals to us. Uh, The only thing true. And in the history of his revelation to man, there have been many times in which God used dreams to communicate uh, his word. And the Bible says, for example, that the angel of the Lord spoke to Jacob in a dream. Uh, the, uh, the scripture tells us that uh, God gave dreams to Joseph uh, in, in the book of Genesis and, and, and also enabled him to interpret the dreams of others and thereby uh, have God's revelation come that way. 1 Kings 3.5 says that Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and spoke to him. And in the New Testament, when it refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts 2.17, quoting from the Old Testament, one of the prophets said, It shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so God, in in times past, uh, revealed himself through prophetic dreams and other forms of revelation. Uh, But when the scripture was completed, his written word, then those ways, and even our confession of faith in the first chapter says, those former ways of God revealing himself have now ceased. Uh, They're no longer necessary because we have uh, a final and lasting form of revelation, uh, the written word of God. And, of course, by the scriptures, we test all things. But not only that, um, we also, uh, we teach from the scriptures. We start with the scriptures and we interpret them, we explain them, we exhort with them, we preach the word and 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 so and, then, and apply it to our lives. But the false teachers in Jude's day and certainly in our own day, uh, they don't start with God's word. They don't bother to exegete Scripture. They claim to have a direct line of revelation from God, uh, a fresh word from God, as they may call it, and and so they just bypass the Scriptures as if their mode of hearing from God was superior now to the Scriptures. These dreamers had dreams, but they were bad dreams. <laughs> You've had bad dreams before, right? Um, that you know it happens, and uh, and they seem so real. And and so these teachers can can have these dreams, and, and boy, it just seems like God must have really spoken to them. How can we deny what God may have said to them? Maybe God really was speaking to them. Um, well. Uh, bad dreams produce bad fruit, uh, and that can be seen. And, and again, this is nothing new. In the Old Testament, not only were, did God communicate himself 
uh, through dreams. But so the devil also had many false prophets in the Old Testament who had their own dreams, just like the false teachers in, the, in, in Jude's day and in our day. Um, for example, Jeremiah 23, verse 32, God says, Behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. They caused my people to err by their lies and their recklessness. I did not send them or command them. Uh, so uh, we see in Jeremiah 23 uh, also where God says, I've heard what the prophets have said, and they prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. So let the, let, let the prophet dream, let him tell his dream, but let him who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. See, that's what we're about. That's what we need to stand firm on and to realize uh, that dreamers are a plague on the church of God because they're claiming to speak for God when God has already spoken in finality in his word. But true preachers and teachers today speak the word faithfully. They don't rely on their own ideas. I have nothing original to say to you. You understand that if you come here to, to hear something new, you're not going to hear it from me. I have nothing new. I have the old truths, and that's what Jeremiah also said. He says, look, at, look for the old paths. Return to the old paths, not the new, re, new revelation that people are supposedly having. There was a Puritan named Thomas Brooks, and he wrote a treatise listing seven marks of false teachers. And, and the third one, I'll, I'll mention, just read what he said. The third distinguishing mark of false teachers is that they spew out the devices and visions of their own heads and hearts. A false teacher just tells you what they've dreamed up. And uh, today they like to say, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. As soon as I hear that, I immediately think, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a skeptic. <laughs> I'm a skeptic of, of people who say that God spoke to them because I don't believe he's doing it in that way uh, today. And, and I don't think we should listen to those unless they speak the word of God in the Bible. Um, you know, God's spoken through the apostles, the prophets, through Christ himself. In these last days, Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken in his son. There's a finality about it. And even in the book of Revelation, it says, anyone who adds to or takes away from these words uh, will have his name blotted out. So uh, this is serious business. God's spoken in his word. Those who want to hear from God in some other way are dreamers. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. And a lot of people in the church, a lot of people who stay home from church and just watch the TV preachers, are very undiscerning. And they listen to them, and they're enraptured with their new ideas. Stuff you've never heard of. You say, oh, that's so interesting. I've never heard that. Isaiah 8.20 says, to the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it's because there's no life in them. Don't listen to them. All right, secondly, these dreamers, we, we, we see another way false teachers operate. These dreamers defile the flesh. And so uh, these teachers defile their bodies. The flesh is just another word for the body here with sexual immorality. Uh, it's probably another allusion to the practices, the sexually immoral practices of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Jude mentioned in verse 7 that they indulged in sexual immorality and unnatural desires. And that refers to all manner of, uh, of sexual deviation. Anything that deviates from the, from the law of God. And the scriptures, of course, teach us that monogamous sex in, in heterosexual marriage, one man, one woman for life, is his standard. And that outside of those boundaries uh, is sexual, sexually immoral. And, and sadly, today, we often hear about scandals among uh, preachers, well-known preachers. Somehow, of course, get more press than, than the others. But um, uh, this, week, this past week, a friend of, of mine uh, from another state contacted me, and he had been watching a documentary about... Hillsong Church. I really don't know much about Hillsong other than they produce a lot of contemporary music. And in a text he sent to me, my friend said, he said, I've watched some of their praise music. And I think, he says, first of all, I think many are going there for for an experience and not the preaching. That's one thing you notice. And he says, and so far the, the series has not addressed their doctrinal beliefs which he thinks are probably suspect, but they had not gotten to that part maybe, or maybe they won't. But he says it focuses mainly on the celebrity preacher's sex scandal. You see, dreamers defile the flesh. Um, and by their fruits, Jesus said, you will know them. They don't live by the authority of the Scripture. And they imagine they're free to live however they want uh, because, because they say so. And perhaps because of a Gnostic view of life. Gnosticism, at least in Jude's day, uh, was one of the more dangerous heresies that was threatening the church in the first three centuries. And Gnosticism uh, teaches a dualism between spirit and matter, or spirit and flesh, the body and, and the spirit. The Gnostics, the Gnostics assume that matter is inherently evil, and that only that which is of the spirit can be good. And so you have this separation. Well, there's nothing you can do about the, the body. It's, it's, it's completely unredeemable, as it were. It's, it's purely evil. And so, uh, but the spiritual, you can be spiritual, and that's fine. But whatever you want to do with the body, that's fine because it's already, you know, it's, it's evil. You, you can't be good. It can't be sanctified, if you will. That's what they taught. And the result... A result of that thinking, you see, um, sexual immorality doesn't matter. So you can be people today, even, they have this, this dichotomy where they're very spiritually minded. Maybe they're very knowledgeable. Maybe they're very uh, involved in a, in a church or, or, or worship and praise, whatever. And yet, uh, they're, in their lives, they act as if um, they can live however they please. Well... Of course, another way they did it, as you know, verse 4 reminds us, that they used the grace of God as an excuse for their sins. If God's forgiven me of everything, uh, and His grace covers all my sin, then I can kind of tolerate sexual sin under the pretext that, well, you know, God's just going to show me more of His grace, so it's okay. Uh, we know that's, that's twisted. Thinking, because in Romans 6, Paul says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You're going to reason like that 
And Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live it any longer in it? And that's what we talked about earlier. Thirdly, from our passage, Jude tells us another way these false teachers operate. These dreamers reject authority. Now, this is, this is a, a, a very pertinent uh, issue in our day. Um, we know this, that God himself is the ultimate authority, isn't he? He's God. There's no one above him. And from him flows all other authority, whether it's authority in the family, in the church, or in the state. In Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. I'm not going to go into a detailed exposition of Romans 13 today, but the idea that, that, that he's focusing on is, in Jude is that these dreamers reject authority. They reject it. Here in Romans it says, but God has appointed authority. And so if we reject the authority that God has appointed, we are ultimately rejecting him. Now God exercises his authority in a number of ways, but primarily it's the word. It's the written word of God that, that is the final authority. In all matters of faith and practice, as we like to say, his word is law, and uh, his law is the, the, the law of the, of the, of the land, of, of all creation, and it's authoritative in all things. But the false teachers, of course, don't want to be held accountable to the scriptures. They don't like authority. They're their, they want to be their own authority. They want to be their own God. Does that sound familiar? Um and, of course, they don't want to be accountable. They want to be loosened to law so they can sin freely without restraint. So, so watch out for false teachers and preachers today who are accountable to no one but themselves. Uh, be on guard for those churches that are not ruled by elders, <clears throat> but they have something else in, in, in place. Uh, because, you see, elders... Uh, the great thing about ruling elders is they help keep us all accountable in the church uh, by upholding the word of God and biblical order in the church. Without elders as shepherds of the church, the church just goes off into all manner of craziness. Uh, thank God for godly elders. Pray that God would keep your elders godly and that God would raise up more. Uh, like them. I was speaking again with someone else who lives in an entirely different state this week uh, on the phone. And, uh, and this person was saying that they went to a church, they attended a church, had been attending for a while, and then one Sunday uh, they allowed some very unbiblical things to happen in the worship service. And the next Sunday the same thing happened. And so that certainly worried this person. And, and they found out that the church was controlled by a board and not by elders. It was just a, like modeled on a, on a secular business, you know, that would have a board of directors. And on this board was both men and women. And the people on the board approved of these unbiblical practices. And I said, well, this is unbiblical church government. You have unbiblical worship. I don't think you need to stay in that church. You need to leave. And they agreed. They, they just wanted some confirmation. But, but today we face a great struggle in our culture with regard to civil government. 
Um, because our government has moved more and more in an ungodly direction. And of course, Christians uh, are rightly going to have uh, difficulties. Uh, their conscience is going to be violated when a government who's supposed to uphold God's law does the opposite. And uh, we, we have to be very careful. We have a duty, first of all, of course, to pray for those in authority, no matter who they are. And this was, again, uh, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, pray for those in authority, you know who is in authority, right? The Roman emperors, the Caesars, and so on. Uh, so we, we certainly should be praying for those in authority, but we also have a duty to work and, and, and to be salt and light in, in our civil in the civil realm. Uh, and, and some may have more of an opportunity than others, but we need to work for reform and improvement in our government to bring it as much as is possible into line with the word of God, with the law of God. Um, and, and we need to be careful not to develop the attitude uh, when government begins to get, get bad, uh, we don't need to develop the attitude that totally rejects authority. Um, you know, the, the problem is, um, for example, with some on the, on the left, uh, they want to defund the police. They, want to, they don't want any authority, right? Criminals don't like authority. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, and, uh, of course, a criminal would want to defund the police, but um, we have to be careful. Uh, John Calvin warned the fanatics of his own day. Uh, he said, they grumble because they're restrained by the authority of magistrates and furiously declaim against all government. Well, that can happen on the left, uh, you know, uh, or the right. Uh, you can just say government is evil. It's all bad. It's all bad. And you can just reject authority altogether. Um, there's, 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 a, there's a different way that, that God wants us to deal with these things. And it's not by rejecting authority outright. But think about these things. That's one of the identifying marks of these false teachers. They outright reject authority. Uh, why would they do that, especially in the church? So they can say and do whatever they please. Right? They don't want to be accountable. A lot of people don't want to join churches for that very reason. Uh, so I commend you, if you're a member of this church or of another church, if you submitted yourself to the oversight of the elders of the church, God bless you. That's the right place for all Christians to be. It's not safe to be outside of the oversight of the church. That leads to the next point. These dreamers, they speak evil of dignitaries. Uh, what's Jude referring to? Who or what are these dignitaries? Well, the Greek word here is doxa, which simply means glory. Uh, it can mean glory or majesty. And other translations say that they blaspheme the glorious ones or they slander celestial beings. And it seems clear that it's referring to angels. It could be referring to the holy angels, to the fallen angels, or both. Um, but, but we're talking about angelic beings. Uh, these false teachers considered themselves to be superior to these angelic beings. They, did, they didn't have respect for the high and exalted position that God had given them. And it's interesting to note that the Bible teaches in Acts 7, verse 53, that the law was put into effect through angels. So uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with 
the angels, maybe because they um, had something to do with bringing the law, and they didn't like the law, so they they, they slander the angels. But um, angels, fallen and unfallen, possess authority and and power. It's limited, but Satan himself is a fallen angel, and he's called the god of this world. That says something right there. Uh, that God, even in his, even in Satan's rebellion, still allots to him some measure of rule and authority in this world. And of course, the world gladly gives it to him. Um, and so, the false teachers Jude mentions were guilty of irreverence of treating these dignitaries, these angelic dignitaries, if you will, uh, with irreverence. Uh, and, and I think think of the holy angels, and going back to Sodom, they were kind of like the men of Sodom who tried to abuse the angels who came to rescue Lot uh, before God destroyed those cities. Uh, the ungodly men of Sodom, they disrespected the angels of God, fallen or unfallen, doesn't matter. Um, and, and, and so you ask, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, it has to do, again, with our attitude toward those who are in authority. Um, whether it be angels, elders, uh, civil uh, government officials, or whatever. What is your attitude toward, towards those who are in authority? Uh, how do you act when you speak about them? Um, it's easy for us to feel justified when someone in authority is doing wrong, for us to just blast them, right? We can get together in our little huddles or just to ourselves and just... Give them all kinds of grief, you know, with our uh, our words. The Westminster Larger Catechism commenting on the fifth commandment, which has to do with our relationship to those in authority. Um, it, it, it asks this question, what are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? In other words, those who are above us in terms of authority. The sins of inferiors against superiors are envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against their persons and places in their lawful counsels, commands, and correction, cursing, mocking, and all such refractory and scandalous carriage as provides a shame and dishonor to them and their government. Matthew Henry talked about, he warned against those who, quote, censure every slip in the behavior of magistrates. In other words, every little thing that a politician does wrong, uh, you know, those who are always just nothing but criticism, always and only, all the time, that's not a good thing. And we know how easy it is to, to do that though today. Um, much to censure uh, these days. And, that, and, and really the news is nothing but that. And again, doesn't matter where you hear the news, but whether it's on the left or the right, you're going to hear nothing but censure of the side that they don't like. And, um, and we can fall into that. But as Christians, we've got to be careful. The Christian life is not about just cursing the darkness all the time. And certainly we're not to curse and, and, and uh, mock uh, and show contempt for those in authority. Um, even if they don't deserve it, we still respect the office. So um, you say, well, but our government... Authorities are evil, and that's that's the thing we have to face. Um, people don't trust politicians, you know. Uh, they're the, the least trusted people in, in 
in, in our country today. Um, governing authorities are evil, but so, of course, is the devil, the evil one. And verse 9 says, here we get into this, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, disputed about the body. Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Um, that's a challenging passage for us to interpret and apply, but uh, Jude is actually referring to something mentioned in a book called the Testament of Moses, not in the scripture. Uh, we might call it an apocryphal book, but it was, it was a book that was very familiar to the Jews at the time, and, and they knew this account. They, they, under, they knew what, what the story was about. It was common knowledge. And Jude is simply using this, not necessarily as, as inerrant truth, it's not scripture, but, but he uses it to make a point. He uses it as an illustration and to make a point. And, um, and, and the thing is, here you have this dispute between Michael the archangel and the devil. These are both uh, one fallen and one a, a holy angel. But both had, had been created to be at a, a very high level in the hierarchy of angels. And so um, Michael was supposedly sent by God to take Moses' body and to bury it secretly. And Satan said, no, this is my uh, jurisdiction. Uh, Moses was a murderer, and therefore he belongs to me. And I'm going to bury him and deal with his body, uh, and you can't have him. And of course... Of course, Michael, if this really happened, we don't know. But, uh, of course, Michael uh, is in a quandary here. What does he do? He, he does, he says, the Lord rebuke you. I'm serving the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. It's not just me against Satan. It's the Lord whom we serve that's over all. And as one author put it, he says, if an angel was so careful in what he said to the devil, how much more should we, mortal men, watch our words? And so the story of Michael shows it's not, a, not even angels were autonomous, you know, uh, you know that live unto themselves alone. No, we, we have to be very cautious about how we deal with those in authority, even if they be evil. And the archangel Michael stands in stark contrast to the false teachers in Jude. Even when contending with the devil, Michael does not engage in verbal abuse. But it seems like these false teachers had no trouble uh, doing that. And uh, have you noticed how sometimes, if you've seen them, probably shouldn't watch them, but maybe you have seen them, uh, and the false teachers start to rail and to scream and to yell at the devil. They call him names, hurl insults at him. I think they need to read this passage. Um, I don't think God calls us to do that. But uh, we can apply this, I think, also in our debates with other people. Uh, you know, those who oppose us often will engage in ridicule and slander and hurl insults and verbal abuse at us, especially when they don't have any actual answers to our arguments and reasons for what we believe. And uh, we're going to be tempted to engage in a verbal war, a verbal abuse battle. And, uh, but we shouldn't do that. We'll be stooping to their level. We must not trade insults with others, no matter how evil they might be. 
That's not the way the Lord would have us to treat others, even our enemies. In verse 10, Jude goes on to say these men speak evil of whatever they do not know. That's, that's a big problem, right? Um, people who rail against things, they don't really know what they're talking about. That's, that's not very seemly. It's not becoming of Christians. So these dreamers claimed a spiritual superiority to angels. Uh, and, and no doubt they believe themselves to be superior to, to uh, the apostles, to the elders and pastors of the day. Uh, but they spoke about things they didn't understand. They were operating on a more beastly animal instinct, right? Just, just pure animal instinct. They didn't have self-control. They didn't have respect for others. They ignored the word of God. And therefore, they became ignorant of the truth. Let every one of you, James said, be slow to speak, you know, quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Dr. Michael Green summarizes Jude's assessment of the false teachers. He said, physically they became immoral. Follow the flesh. Intellectually they became arrogant. Spiritually they denied the Lord. And he concludes, he says, progressive morality and progressive thinking often go hand in hand with progressive deafness to the voice of God. To live like that is to live in a dream world. And doesn't that describe our culture today? Uh, so many people are living in a dream world because progressive morality ha has progressed to an ins a level of insanity. But Jude is warning us, particularly in the church, to look out for those who, uh, who act on their own authority. As if they could live and do as they please. And he warns us not to be taken in by them, not to imitate them, even as we oppose them. And so we contend for the faith without becoming contentious or contemptuous of those that we're contending with. And so we trust the Lord to fight. The battle's the Lord's. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord will fight for you. Uh, we act with humility, respect, and even love for our enemies as Christ taught us. And in contrast to the false teachers, we must live lives of moral integrity and self-control. And this is how we go about contending for the faith. We still contend. We still fight the fight of faith and we, we still contend. And we deal, as, as Brian mentioned with reference to church discipline, when false teachers are uncovered and they refuse to repent of their ways, they must be disciplined and put out of the church. And, and certainly we're willing to do that. Um, but think on these things. Uh, these are the ways the false teachers operate. Uh, they're not the ways that we should operate as Christians. We have the word of God. We have the authority of God. It's not in us. It's from his word. And let's stand on that and let's live uh, by that word and not our own dreams. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the book of Jude. It's a great challenge to us. It is very pertinent to today. Uh, help us, Lord, to understand, continue to understand what is being taught in this book and how it applies to today. Give me uh, your wisdom and insight uh, that I would not veer from to the right or to the left as I seek to interpret and teach your word. Father, may we uh, be students of that word, even this week, even this coming week, Lord, daily that we would be in your scriptures, uh, daily we'd be praying for discernment, 
And Lord, that you would purify your church uh, and that you would give uh, discerning eyes to the people of God all around this world who have been taken in by false teachers. Would you open their eyes to that? Uh, so that and, and, and Lord, would, would there be, we pray that you would build up and Lord, make new churches to come into being who are sound in the faith and who preach the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, please uh, take your hymnal.